This is my favorite book from when I grew up. This or this? Now this is fun. So this is Bellingham. What is this? This is our sweet new girl. This is one thing I want you to know. Well, hello, friends. If I haven't met you before, my name is Brian. I'm excited to be with you this morning. I'm the creative pastor here at CTK. And I got to say, I'm excited that, that you're here. I'm excited that God's here, and I'm believing that God has an encouraging, challenging word for you this morning. So here's how I want to start our time together. I want to start our time together by blessing all the note takers. All, all the, the people that love structure, all the people who wish that there was a little bit more of a thread through everything that they hear. And so uh, we know the types of people that, that we're talking about here. But I, if that's you, I want to bless you this morning. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you my syllabus before I actually give you my talk. And so uh, I'm going to tell you exactly all the talking points that we're going to go over in the next 20 or so minutes. And I'm going to give you the play-by-play so you know exactly what's coming your way. And you can just relax and enjoy the word that God has for you this morning. So get ready for it. Here it comes. Here's where we're going today. I'm going to start with a statement. And then I'm going to tell a story. Then I'm going to do two perspectives on that story. Give you a couple quick thoughts on reality television. One fun fact about dead things. I'm going to tell you a story about my daughter, Brooklyn. I'm going to give a couple quick thoughts about the church, a few scriptures. Then we're going to wrap things up by saying a couple songs. So there you go, note takers. There you go, structure people. You're welcome. I hope that that encourages you and excites you about what God's going to say. Well, I'm going to start with a statement. Here's the statement. It's simple, but it's faithfulness is not determined by the number of times that you fall down. It's determined by the number of times that you get back up. Let's say it again. Faithfulness is not determined by the number of times that you fall down. Thank God. It's determined by the number of times that you get back up. So I want to pray for you. Holy Spirit, God, would this resonate with our hearts? God, the, the, the call, the thing that you're inviting us into... God, the journey, what you're not looking for is somebody who doesn't fall. You're not looking for somebody who's perfect. You're looking for somebody who's available. So in this moment, God, would we, would we let go of all the distractions and would we say we are available, God? We are available. I am available to you. Holy Spirit, would you move in this moment? Would you empower us? Would you embolden us? Would you encourage us? Would you enlighten us? Would we be able to hear, God, the words that you have, not just that are coming uh, through this microphone, God, but would the Spirit of God speak exactly to each person who's listening? God, would you give them a word that can only come from you? God, less of us, more of you. God, we, we, we see you in this moment. You have our full attention. And we pray that you would move in power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, today we're going to be looking at the story of, of Abraham. And I, I love the story of Abraham because it gets told a couple different times throughout the scriptures. And when stories get told multiple times, what that does is it gives us multiple perspectives on that story. And what I'm hoping it does is it actually gives us perspective and insight into the story that God's telling through our lives. 
And so this story of Abraham first gets told in, in Genesis over about 15 or so chapters. So right now we don't have enough time to, to read chapter by chapter. That would take all of our time and we wouldn't actually get to uh, speak to any of the, the fine details. And so I would encourage you, though, go read this story. It's such a beautiful story about God's faithfulness and humanity's brokenness. And maybe you've, you've heard songs about Abraham. It's Father Abraham, if you grew up in the church. It's, it's Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. That's how we know Abraham in the church. But one of the main themes of this story is actually the fact that Father Abraham didn't have any sons for most of his life. And his wife Sarah was barren. And they were both very old. They were the kind of old where old people look at them and they're like, wow, those guys are old. And that's how old they were when they received the promise of God. So a lot of this story is actually about God making good on his promise to give Abraham and Sarah a son, even though it seemed impossible given the situation. So we get to see the story play out in Genesis. We get a lot of the details. We get a lot of just kind of nuance to how it all went down. But then the story gets retold in the book of Romans and again in the book of Hebrews. And what I want to do with our time is I want to look at Paul's depiction of the story, which is in Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 18. Guys, I know this is, this is going to encourage you. So if you've got your Bibles, you can, you can turn to Romans chapter 4. I'll give you a second. We're going to start with verse 18. I'm going to read this over you no matter where you're at. It begins like this. It says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offsprings be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised to do. It says Abraham believed... And so became. Abraham believed and so became the father of many nations. I love that thought. How many of you know that you actually become what you believe? You actually become what you believe. Even right now in this moment, what you're believing is informing who you're becoming. And and, and so because of this, your view of God, your view of yourself, your view of the world around you is actually shaping and molding you into the person that you're becoming. And friends, that's why I think the church needs to spend less time telling people how broken they are. The world doesn't need another voice telling people what they're not. What the world desperately needs is a church that's committed to reminding people of who they are in Christ. They are a new creation, and that's so important because we become what we believe. You become what you believe. Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations. I I love this story, and I love the way that Paul tells it here in Romans. It's so inspiring. It's so moving and powerful. And we have to remember, when Paul tells the story, it's not actually Paul who's telling the story. It's God who's telling the story through Paul. Paul brought his pen and his parchment, but it's the Spirit of God that informs and directs this story. But what's, what's interesting about Paul's depiction of this story 
is that it doesn't really paint the full picture of the struggle that Abraham and Sarah had to endure as they journeyed towards God's promise together. You see, when Paul tells this story, it it seems like, to me, from my perspective, that there are a few things that get left out. Here's what I mean. So if you read Genesis, you'll, you'll see that Abraham, his wife Sarah, had a moment of disbelief. So, so they knew the promise of God, that how many of you know that you can, you can know something, but it's still challenging at moments to believe it to your core. They knew the promise of God, but in a moment of disbelief, Sarah offered up her servant, Hagar, who was much younger than she was, to Abraham as a potential solution to the problem that they were facing with her barrenness. They, they, they've been promised a a son, and they're like, well, we, we can control some of these variables. We can, we can stack the deck in our favor and maybe help God out a little bit. And so Abraham, being the stand-up guy that he is, Sarah offers him Hagar, and he says, you know what? I will allow this. I will receive this mission from the Lord. He says, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. He sleeps with Hagar, and they have a son named Ishmael. The only problem is that God never wanted the son to come from Hagar. He wanted the son to come from Sarah. So instead of being an answer to prayer, Ishmael actually became a reminder of their inability to wait on the Lord. Isn't it interesting how when we tend to try to puppeteer our lives and help God out, that sometimes we just make a mess of things. So there's there's that detail of the the story. I mean, you can't can't forget about Hagar. Guys, there's there's this other part of the story um, in, in Abraham and Sarah. They're they're traveling through this certain region, and Abraham fears that the dangerous men of this region are going to kill him so that they can have Hag or so that they can have Sarah for themselves. And this part of the story has always been a a bit baffling to me. It strikes me as odd because according to my math, Sarah is getting pretty close to 70 years old, but uh, apparently she's she's still got it going on, so good for you, Sarah. Um, But in the moment of cowardice, Abraham lets people believe that Sarah is in fact his sister and lets her be with these other men so that he can stay safe. He doesn't want any harm to come to him, so he, he lies about his wife and says, you know what? She can be with the people that are in charge so that I can come out of this on top. He even got a a little extra coin on the side once they realized what he had done. And it would have been one thing if it happened once, but it actually happened multiple times throughout the story. Instead of honoring Sarah as his bride, he used her like a bartering chip. And and it's not a good look for our our father Abraham. So so there's, there's that. And lastly, if we look back at Paul's account here in Romans 4, he says, Abraham did not waver through unbelief. So he does not waver through unbelief, even though there's this one part in Genesis where it kind of seems like he, like he does. You see, after all this infidelity and deceit and doubt, after repeatedly taking measures into their own hands and making a mess of things, God seeks them out, he finds them, and he declares over their lives that the promise still stands. The deal is still on the table. Even though they had been faithless, God was going to remain faithful. It's this powerful moment where God speaks hope into a hopeless situation. He speaks life into a barren womb. And by this point in the story, though, Abraham and Sarah were so jaded that they couldn't even bring themselves to continue believing. They couldn't even bring themselves to hope. 
And maybe, maybe you know how that feels. Maybe even in this season, it, it seems like the hits just keep coming. And maybe right now it takes everything in you. You don't even know if you can muster the courage to hope. So in that place, instead of believing the promise of God, Abraham and Sarah laugh in the face of God. They hear the promise. They literally laugh in the face of God. It's right there in Genesis. It's crazy. So there's that. You can't forget about laughing in the face of God. But when we read Romans 4, there's, there's something interesting. There's not even a mention of any of those stories. It's not there. It is maddeningly absent from the narrative that Paul writes. It just says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. And I don't know about you, but knowing what I know about Abraham, if I were to read this account from Paul, it, it seems like it's, like it's almost a little bit incomplete. It seems like it's not the whole story. You, you, you kind of want to say, well, well, Paul, I don't mean to be rude. I don't need to insert myself into the situation. I know you're a sharp guy, great writer, got a good head on your shoulders. Um, but, but I had to notice in your, in your recollection of this story, it seemed like there were a few details that, that got left out. I mean, it, it seems like you, you might have overlooked Hagar. You remember Hagar, right? Hagar, the one that Sarah offered up, they had Ishmael, kid out of wedlock, like it was this whole thing, infidelity, like it seems like if you're going to talk about Abraham, we got to talk about Hagar, right? Or, or hey, Paul, when he's writing this, what about the times, plural, that Abraham lied about his wife and let her sleep with other dudes so that he could come out on top and have gain and collect a little extra money? You know, it seems like if we're going to talk about Abraham, we got we got to talk about those moments or how about this one? Hey, Paul, if you're going to write a story about Abraham, how about the time he literally laughed in the face of God? Are we going to mention that? If there's going to be a biography, we probably got to, we got to talk about the facts. We got to talk about the fact that he laughed in God's face, right? But when he goes to write the story, he says, Abraham in hope believed and so became. He doesn't budge. When Paul, who's, again, inspired by God, sits down to tell the story of Abraham, he doesn't, he doesn't consider those stories worth mentioning. Apparently, those weren't the storylines that he was worried about conveying through his, his telling. And the more I thought about this this week, the, the, the more it reminded me of reality television. Reality television. I was thinking about, I, I don't know, Tiger King or, or Survivor or, or maybe it's, it's Bachelor. All of which are shows that you've probably never seen because you're a good Christian. But if you did, this is what you would know about these shows. So they, they bring in a, a whole camera crew to capture the story. And this camera crew, they film as much as they possibly can. They try to capture every single detail that happens in the context of this story so that at the end of it, they can go back through and take the bits and pieces and put them together to create storylines. But here's the interesting thing about reality TV is that the story that gets told says as much about the editor as it does about the cast. Because here's what we all know about reality TV. The final story that we see is never the full story of what happened. 
The final story we see is never the full story of what happened. And this is true in every story. This isn't just, we, we don't just need to pick on reality TV. This is, this is how life works. There are always going to be things that you highlight in your story and things that you minimize. There's always going to be things that you include and things that you choose to exclude. That's just how stories get made. And if I were to ask you about your day, you can't tell me every detail of your day because it would take too long and I would get too bored. You can't say, you know what, I started this morning uh, and imagine this. I, I woke up and my alarm was going off. How crazy is that? I hit that sucker three times and 21 minutes later, I decided I'm going to rise up. I'm going to conquer this day. So I went and uh, I found my pants, you know, and I started with my left leg. And then yeah, you guessed it. We went with the right one. We pulled them up. We buttoned them up and off to go. Oh, that's right. Then we had to find my shirt. We can't talk about every detail because it takes too long. It actually takes longer to talk about it than it actually did to live it. You can't include every detail of your day, so you have to pick and choose what you include and what you exclude, and that's actually what makes up the story. So this got me thinking about whoever's editing these shows, they have an incredible amount of power because they can essentially use the moments that get captured and they can arrange them as such to create whatever narrative they choose they want to tell. And so the story that gets told is a direct reflection of the person who's editing the story. What gets put in and what gets left out isn't up to the character. It's up to the editor. And there are certain things we know about every story. We know that there's always going to be trouble that comes. This is actually talked about in scripture. Uh, one of the places is James 1 verse 2. It says, count it as joy, my brothers. Listen to this. When you meet trials of various kinds. Get this. When you meet trials of various kinds, not if. So I'm going to let you in on a little secret. There are going to be moments in your story where you fall off the horse. There are going to be moments in your story where you get it wrong, you are going to make some decisions in your life that make absolutely no sense. You are going to fall down. You are going to fail. That doesn't make you bad. It makes you a human. Welcome to your story. But the question then becomes, if we know that the question isn't, are we going to fail? The question then becomes, when we fail, what's the story that is going to get told about us? What story are we going to tell, given what we know? And when Paul sits down to write Abraham's story, he says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. So this story that gets told tells us a lot about the editor. You know, the editor says, you misunderstand. You might have thought this was a story about Abraham falling down, but it's not. It's a story about Abraham getting back up again and chasing after God's promises. He says, no, I'm not going to mention Hagar because the story's not about Hagar. The story's about God and God's faithfulness to keep covenants even though humans are broken. He says, no, I'm not going to mention Abraham's weakness because the story's not about Abraham's weakness. This story is about God's strength. He says, no, I'm not going to mention Abraham's infidelity and doubt and fear because the story's not about how Abraham's infidelity and doubt and fear ruined him. It's a story about how the grace of God saved him. Friends, this is, this is what I want you to see. In, in this message, this is what I want you to remember, what I want you to leave with. Friends, there's, there's certain parts of your story 
there's certain mistakes that you've made that the enemy wants to make into the headlines of your life. There's certain scenes from your story that the enemy would want nothing more than for you to repeat and just create a loop in your brain and have that be the thing that you fester on all day. There are certain scenes from your story, certain decisions that you've made that have left you feeling unworthy and broken beyond repair. But God sent me here to tell you this. Don't you dare let the enemy edit your story. Because if you are a new creation in Christ, you've been given a new perspective called grace. And when grace gets a hold of your story, some of the things that you thought were going to be the headlines of your life end up being the footnotes. And some of the things that you thought were your lowest moments become the greatest testimonies to God's grace instead of monuments that you build to your failure. And friends, when God tells your story, some of the biggest mistakes that you ever made end up being cast as the greatest miracles that God ever did. Christian, there are certain things that you are holding on to that God has already forgiven you for. And don't you dare hold yourself hostage if God has set you free. Galatians 5 says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't you dare hold yourself hostage if God has set you free. You know, when all gets said and done, the story God tells through Abraham, it says Abraham held fast to the promise. He finished well. He was faithful. That doesn't mean he got it perfect. That doesn't mean he always got it right. It just means that he kept walking towards God. Maybe he had a limp. He kept limping towards God. He kept crawling towards God and God's promises for his life. No matter how many times he fell down, he kept getting back up. No matter how many times he embarrassed himself, he kept coming back to God. You know, the issue with most people isn't that they're not good enough to be used by God. It's that they're not humble enough to keep running back towards God every time that they make a mistake. I mean, you've got to know this. It gets harder and harder to keep picking ourselves up when we're filled with shame. When we're, we're, we're telling a story about ourselves. I thought that I'd be over this by now. I didn't think I'd still be struggling with this sin right now. I thought I'd be further along in my story than I am by now. And I'm filled with shame. And all of a sudden, there's this wedge that gets created, not because of the story that God's telling, but because of the story that we tell. God's saying, your story's not about falling down. Your story's about will you get back up again, even if you're embarrassed to know that I'm a good God who wants wholeness and purpose for your life. Friends, here's what I love about Abraham. Abraham has the kind of faith that when he messes up, he doesn't run away from God. He runs towards God. That tells you so much about Abraham's view of this God. He trusted that God was not done with him just because he's covered in dirt. And there are always, friends, going to be people who choose to define you based on the lowest moments of your life. There are going to be people who fix their focus on your failures. You're going to say, hey, this is what God's doing in my life. And they're going to say, you know, I was there with you that one time. I was there in college. I saw what you did. I was there in that season of your life when you made that decision. I was there through that divorce. I was there through that moment of your life that actually has filled you with shame. There's people that are going to try and make those stories headlines, but God doesn't want those to be headlines. He wants them to be footnotes. 
But know this about God. God's voice is always spurring you forward. He said, get up. He says, I'm not done with you. He says, keep going. He says, get back up and run to me. You know, this week, it's been heavy on my heart to share a simple fact with you. And I know that this season's been, been hard. I know it's been a season of pressing. And I know that the hard that I've experienced is different than the hard that you're experiencing. But just for a moment, I want to speak to those of you who have been struggling with your faith. You've been struggling with your faith in this season. Maybe you're wondering, where is God at? Maybe you're angry. You are frustrated. You're sick of it. You're saying, God, where are you at? You are struggling to even believe that God sees you in this moment. You've been struggling to find hope in a season that feels hopeless. If that's you, if you're struggling with your faith, I need to remind you of this simple fact. Dead things don't struggle. And so if you're struggling with your, fact, or with your faith, your faith is still alive. And God's not done. If it's not dead, then God is not done with you. If you're struggling with your hope, know that you still have hope because dead things don't struggle. And if you're struggling with God, know that you still have God because dead things don't struggle. Friends, a lot of times when we're struggling, we view that as, as negative, but it's actually the positive way that God is actually revealing that the thing that we're struggling with is still there. And maybe you're struggling with your faith, but know this, you've still got your faith because dead things don't struggle. The Spirit of God invites you. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As long as you're struggling, that means it's still there, and God wants to redeem it. He wants to restore it. He wants you to come so that he can give you rest and wholeness and a restored life and vision. You know, this, this week, I was spending some time with my, my sweet girl, Brooklyn, who's uh, coming up on two years old now, which is, which is just crazy to even think about. And I, I, used to, I used to be so annoying, guys. When, when people would ask me how old my daughter was, I was like very, very specific. I would be like, oh, let me think. You know, in three days, she's going to be 23 months. And then I realized that people don't actually care about that. They're just trying to make conversations. So I had to apologize and repent. And so now I'm just trying to say, you know, she's coming up on two. But this girl, gosh, she is lightning in a bottle. She is just refreshment. She is joy. Uh, it's not all, all beautiful and great every second of the day, but she is so beautiful. And she has my whole heart. Um, but what I want to share with you about my sweet girl, Brooklyn, is this. She falls down more than anybody I've ever met. No joke. Never met somebody who falls as much as Brooklyn. She runs full speed 90% of her life. She just throws herself into every situation that she comes to. Somebody you saw her playing the other day and literally asked the question, how much does she fall, like, per day? How many times? Like, that was the question. They just saw her fall and then fall and fall and run and fall again. They're like, how, how much does this happen? And I did the mental gymnastics. I'm thinking, you know what? I think it's got to be, if I'm being conservative, 30 times. If I'm being a little bit more... Uh, Honest is probably 40, if not more, times per day that Brooklyn falls on her face. And right now, this girl has the sweetest little voice. 
She, she's finding her vocabulary. She's starting to narrate her life a little bit. And, and one of my favorite things that she says, every time that she falls down, she looks up and she says, I fall. She says, I fall. And what I, I love to do more than anything else is I, I go over to her and I say, you, you did fall, didn't you? She says, uh-huh. And then what I love to do is I look down at her and I say, in Brooklyn, what do we do when we fall? And she says the sweetest thing. She looks up at me and she says, up we go. She says, up we go. And I say, that's right, sweet girl. That's absolutely right. And then we help her up and we dust her off. And she takes off again running. And guess what? She falls again. Friends, you need to know this about your story. You are going to fall. It's not about falling. It's about what you do when you fall down. Keep in mind that this happens 30 times a day in our household. She says, I fall. I say, you did fall, didn't you? She says, uh-huh. I said, what do we do when we fall? She says, up we go. I said, that's right, sweet girl. That is what we do. That is how we have to orient ourselves. That is what we need to remind ourselves of. When we fall down, what do we do? Up we go, upwards and onwards towards Jesus. As I was preparing this message, I felt convicted. I, I felt like the Lord was showing me in a way that this is the picture of what the church was created to do. This is God's heart for people. When people fall down, we don't point at them, we don't throw a label on them, we don't fill them with shame, we don't stick them over the corner and tell them that they're in Christian timeout. That's not what we were created to do. We're created to actually come alongside and remind people what to do when they fall down. We say, that's right, you did fall down. We call a spade a spade. We're not going to look the other way. We're going to say, but what do we do when we fall down? We pick ourselves back up. We get up, we dust ourselves off, and we keep running after the promises of God. Because faithfulness isn't determined by the number of times that you fall down. It's determined by the number of times you get back up. In Hebrews 12, I love this scripture, friends. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. And let us, what? Run with perseverance. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to look at this part. Let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked before us. Friends, we have been invited to run the race that's, in, that's before us. We're created to run, fixing our eyes towards Jesus. And are you going to fall down? You better believe you are. You're going to fall down and you're going to get up and you're going to fall down again. But faithfulness isn't determined by the number of times that you fall. It's determined by the number of times that you keep getting back up no matter how embarrassed you are. No matter how many times it seems like you should have been further along than you did. The word of God actually says keep getting up. Keep dusting yourselves off. Keep fixing your eyes on Jesus and keep running the race that's set out before you. This is what faithfulness looks like. It's not perfection. It's just being perfectly uh, looking towards, am I going to get up and asking yourselves the question, am I going to get up? Does God still see me? Is God telling my story? Am I? And we get to choose God's story every time. 
Friends, I feel like God sent me here to say, get up. In this season where you're feeling pressed, get back up. If you've fallen over, get up. Dust yourself off. If you're not dead, then God is not done. Keep going. Keep chasing after the promises of God. He is not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. He is not against you. He is for you. He is the wind behind your back. He is the voice in your mind that's saying, get back up. He doesn't look at you with disdain. He says, please come to me if you're weary. If you're on your face, if you're covered in dirt, please get back up and keep running towards me. Friends, your story isn't about what people have called you. It's about what God calls you. That's the most true, most trustworthy source that we know. You are not your lowest moments. You are not your failures. You are not your mistakes. You are who God says you are. You are beloved. And today as we close, I want to invite the the worship team to come back out. We're going to sing a couple songs. But before we do, I just want to read a few scriptures over you. I just want to remind you of who God says that you are because we are going to have people throughout our lives that continue to judge us, who continue to define us by life's lowest moments. But God invites us to take on this new perspective of grace and to allow the words that he speaks over us to be the most true words that we believe about ourselves. And so as we close, I'd invite you, if you feel led, would you stand? If you're already standing, you can sit, you can kneel, whatever it looks like for you to just be in a posture to receive what God has said about you. God says that you are holy and blameless before him. He says that you're loved by God. No matter what people say, he says that you have been saved by grace through faith. He says that you are the light of the world. He says that you are no longer a slave to sin. He says that you are a new creation in Christ. He says that you're qualified and you're sanctified and you're purified and there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. This is your story. This is the story that God wants to tell about you. Yeah, I didn't believe it every single moment, every single day, but I kept getting up. I kept grabbing it. I kept reaching for the story that God gave me and it became the story of my life. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Friend, don't you dare hold yourself hostage if God is setting you free. God says there's no fear in death because Christ has overcome the grave. I want to pray for you, Holy Spirit. Would these be the words that define our life, God? Would your story be the story, God, that we cling to even when we feel like failures? God, will we not get so bogged down by the the, the rhythms, God, of our failures, God? Would we be so consumed with getting ourselves back up? Up we go. It's not about falling down. It's about what we do when we fall down. You are a good God. You are inviting us back. You are hovering and you are looking out at the horizon, waiting for us to turn back towards you so that you can come and you can robe us. You can give us the finest things and you can actually throw a party because what was lost is now found. God, that is what is true about us, not what people say, not what we say about ourselves, not the narratives that we get stuck in. God, our lives are not defined by our lowest moments. They're defined by the greatest moment of history, you on the cross. God, in this moment, 
soften our hearts. There's so much that distracts us. Give us just the clarity of mind in this moment to allow those things to sink deep into our heart. We are not our lowest moments. We are not our past mistakes. When you tell our story, some of those things don't even make the final cut. You are a good editor. You are a good God. We cling to you, God, in this season and every season. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.